Hi, we're the ladies of LifeSite, and we're so glad you're here. We're ladies simply navigating the challenges and triumphs of this modern culture as moms, wives, sisters, and daughters. Join us each week as we discuss the raw questions and situations that we face every day from our unique perspectives. So grab your cup of coffee, tea, or beverage of choice, and let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Ladies of LifeSite. I'm Claire, and I'm so excited about this week's podcast. Joining us today is Michelle Kaufman, a pro-life leader, activist, and mom of seven. She's joining us all the way from New Zealand. Her mother, Dame Colleen Bayer, co-founded New Zealand's Catholic pro-life organization, Family Life International. Michelle has been working at FLI since it was founded in 1992 and currently serves as a communications director. Michelle was instrumental in bringing 40 Days for Life to New Zealand and in the founding of her country's National March for Life. She's also a great writer and has articles published on LifeSite News and on FLI's website. She has produced resources covering a wide variety of subjects, including euthanasia, abortion, and sex education. However, her most important work is in her family as a wife to Brendan and mother of seven children. Michelle, thank you again for being with us from the other side of the world. I don't even know where to start because you are amazing. And I was just telling the ladies how much of an inspiration you are. And you do so much. Can you... I don't know, maybe start telling us a bit about your work with Family Life International or how you got into the pro-life movement, but I feel like you were born into it. I was born into it. Um, my mum is pro-life veteran, really. She's been involved right from the 1970s when she was involved. Um, and she was invited to start participating in the pro-life activities that were going on at that time. And, and she's just gone from leaps and bounds. And so I just grew up in the pro-life movement and knowing that abortion was wrong and it was quite normal to go to abortion facilities and pray outside of them. I think one of my earliest memories is standing outside an abortion facility doing that. And so it was an inevitable really that I would be part of this great movement. And I think the defining moment for me was participating in a Operation Rescue that happened when I was 14 years old and I was standing on the balcony of an abortion facility and it just hit me in that moment about how grave abortion really is and how it's just the babies. I, I just got that sense standing there, the, the darkness around me and and I knew, I remember standing there on that balcony thinking that I would do everything I possibly could to end abortion and to help save babies' lives from that moment on and I've never turned back. That's amazing. Claire, I'm going to jump in for just a second because Michelle, I'm very curious. When I was younger, my mom took us to pray outside an abortion clinic a couple of times and it was in a pretty rough neighborhood in California and she said we had tomatoes thrown at us, eggs, and people just, you know, would roll down their windows and swear at us and honk at us and, and we were quite young and, and so she stopped taking us because she was really worried about the impact it would have on us kind of that we just weren't old enough or ready to handle all of that. So I'm curious how your mom kind of balanced that or kind of what what an impact it had on you. Because I would imagine 
maybe, I don't know if you had tomatoes thrown at you, but you know, people are generally not very pleasant when you're outside of, of an abortion center praying or, or trying to no. counsel women. And they tend to be quite critical of parents who bring their children to pray or, or to be present outside an abortion facility. So I've experienced that as a mother now. I don't recall anything growing up. The, the facility that we went to was down a quiet street in a very well-to-do suburb. And it was down right down the very end of that street. So there wasn't too many people passing by and, you know, having that opportunity to voice their opinions in physical and verbal ways. So I don't I don't really recall all of that. I do know as a mother I have started to not bring my children to the abortion facility unless there's a large group gathering happening simply because of what people say and the abuse that they encounter and I feel like it's a little bit too much for them at their age but you know the older ones come. I love that. <laughs> Michelle that just made me think I mean whether you bring your children with you or not how either you know was it instilled in you by your parents or what are some ways that you are trying to kind of share the pro-life message with your kids so that they grow up understanding um, what it means to be pro-life and the kind of the why behind it. So I don't know if there are some kind of talking points you've used or just in conversation with your kids or what ways have you incorporated that into your home? I think the pro-life message is very easily taught to children just by living family life. So I remember I have seven children. And so I remember when I was pregnant with each of them, the children would talk to the baby through the baby telephone, which was obviously my belly button. And, you know, <laughs> they understood that there was a child in there growing and there was going to be a baby that was going to be born and they'd be able to hold that baby and they could see the baby moving you know from time to time and all those sorts of things and showing them pictures of ultrasounds I think in this day and age it's really really easy just to instill in our children this great reverence for life from its beginning and and just the way we the language that we use when we're pregnant and and talking about the baby you know we're not expecting a child we're not an expectant mother when we're pregnant we are pregnant mothers, you know, we're already mothers right from that very first moment that that child exists. And so you can easily pass that on to our children. And then because we're so active in the pro-life movement, they don't really have a chance. <laughs> it's just to think otherwise. <laughs> I mean, it's what we do. We, we, we go, we pray for an end to abortion every single day. We go to pray outside abortion facilities. We talk about all the issues that come up in the media. They're encouraged to make submissions to the government, the older ones, when those opportunities arise. They have the discussions in their classroom. We homeschool now, but some of the children have been to school and you know, as teenagers, they've had those discussions in the classroom because abortion comes up as part of the the curriculum, as does euthanasia and, and of course, sex education and all those other life issues that we we have to work against at this time in history. So I think if you're living your faith and you're living 
your pro-life convictions, I think they kind of just pick it up and then you can just have those discussions as the questions arise, just knowing your child and where they're at and answering what they find is important to them at that time. Quite a challenge, isn't it, to be a parent <laughs> and, and to know what to say, when to say it and when to bring things in and when just to only say a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think my biggest, not necessarily fear, but, you know, kind of in the back of your mind as a parent, you know, you do your best to raise your children, you know, with our values on life and family and our faith. But there's still that sense in the back of your mind that kind of worries that your your children still will, you know, grow up and be indoctrinated in some way by the world and completely turn away from that. And, you know, we all know it's totally in God's hands. We do our part. But yeah, so it's always encouraging to to meet other women like you who are so active and involved in the pro-life movement and in their faith that it it really encourages me when I see, you know, people like you with older children that are still, you know, following the faith or still clinging tight to their pro-life beliefs because of the crazy world that we live in. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a given, like, as you say, they grow up, they take on some of the messages of the world. And, but even when they stray, there is still something there I was so far that I had found that holds them to some truth. And hopefully, you know, as time goes by, they don't lose that, that truth. And, you know, they hold fast to, to at least something. When I was with your mom in Rome, I think it was a couple of years now because we haven't seen each other in a while. She was talking about just how proud she is of you and the work that you do. And now your children are doing it, too. And I just think that that's such a beautiful, just such a beautiful witness of three generations fighting this, this incredible battle. And I'm sure it's such a battle in New Zealand. My oldest daughter, she's 19, Amy, she had a really difficult time at school, a Catholic school, with living her faith and knowing what was right because what she had been taught from home and then what the teachers were teaching about population control, about abortion, about contraception, all those sorts of things, and then what the, the other students were bringing from home. And she would be having all these discussions and speaking the truth and not having that backup from the school. And and so she really has in her heart to go to schools, uh, particularly Catholic schools, and teach the young people about theology of the body and just about what true friendship really is and, you know, kind of lead them along this pathway where they can actually come to understand the truth because a lot of them are coming from a place where they haven't heard anything. And so she has been incredibly successful with that in the last, even in the last year, and uh, has been going to schools in, in the Auckland area and just presenting the very basic um, idea of what it is to be a friend and what true friendship is so that she can build a foundation and then take them through the theology of the body and teach them properly instead of what they're getting otherwise with sex education, which is rampant in this country. And 
That's incredible. You must be so proud. That's amazing. Absolutely. I can't, I just, she's amazing. That is such courage. I love it. Well done. You've raised a great one. The way that God has worked in her life is incredible. So You, you did your part too. <laughs> Give yourself some credit. <laughs> you worked really hard at raising a great daughter. So you've been doing this for, like I said, a very long time. Have you ever experienced burned out? Absolutely. But how do you keep fighting? And and why do you keep fighting? Burnout is very real and it's quite scary when it happens um, because you feel like you need to keep going because you understand the importance of the mission and having, you know, if you step out, then what's going to happen? But then I think... It's about trusting God that this is actually his work. It's not our work. And so to step back and to let things, you know, other people take over and and do things is, is really, really important. And to find that balance in your life, like there is no balance. I realize that. But trying to make sure that you have time to pray, trying to find time for yourself and just do the the things that you need to do to spend time with your family and not let the work take over. So in those times of burnout, just to really step back and make the things that really matter the priority and not let the work, the mission be the priority, because I think that's what happens quite often for us because there's just so much to do. You know, it just takes over and and other things, the most important things, God, family, our children sort of get the back burner. And then you just have to take time to heal and find the strength again. And you can only do that in God. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful, especially because the Prolic Movement is such a good cause. Right. It's easy, I think, to say, I'm going to focus on my family or I'm going to let this this thing slide when you're working, you know, maybe in secular work. But when you're working for a mission in a ministry, it's one as important as the pro-life movement. I think you make a really good point in saying that we to to help on, with that burnout. We need to focus on what's most important because as important as the pro-life movement is, if we aren't taking care of our home and building the pro-life children and and, you know, having our own priorities straight, we can try our best to save the culture, but we can only do so much. It starts at home first and foremost. It does. And we we can do everything for the world, but if our families fall apart, then we haven't really done our first duty, which is to bring up our own children in the faith and and, you know, to, to be good citizens that respect life. I really appreciate you saying that there's no balance. There's, you know, that's such a, I feel like that's such a myth. But you do have to make priorities and you do have to know what your priorities are. And to not make work be such a big priority. And I think that is such a temptation, especially like doing the thing that we do. It's like it's so tempting to just be on your phone all day or to be on your laptop all day. The one thing that really hurt it hurt a lot because I, I live with my sister and her children and we were asking my niece to like, I don't know, imitate our family. And her imitation of me was being on my laptop. And it just broke my heart. I've had the same sort of thing. And that's not how we see ourselves, but that's how our children see us or or those around us. When I think too, like it can be hard sometimes because 
we're kind of in this unique position, especially if you're in the pro-life movement or it's it's hard because when you're a mom, there's this choice you have to make for your family. And, you know, for my husband and I financially, like I do need to work and I'm so blessed that I get to work with LifeSite. But, you know, there is kind of this guilt at the same time because I can't just be 100% focused on my kids all day long because I've got calls and things like that. So my husband and I kind of have to have a team effort when he's home and he helps with the kids and everything. Luckily, we've never we've never had to put them in daycare or anything. So I have felt blessed that I can still work, but I also am able to be home with them. And that's a very unique situation, definitely. But There is kind of that guilt in the back of your mind when you are a working mom that, you know, especially in the Christian Catholic world, it's kind of just assumed that you'll just stay home with your kids and that's that. But that's not always the case and it's not always possible that way. But I do think, you know, at LifeSite, we are very blessed (laughs) because of our situation. Now, we do get to work remotely and and be with our kids, but it's very unique. But that something you said, Michelle, reminded me of a quote that we have actually in our bathroom, our bathroom that everybody uses when they come visit our house. And it's a quote by Mother Teresa. And it says, if you want to change the happiness of the whole world, go home and love your family. And so I see that every day. And I'm just reminded that, you know, just what you've been talking about at the end of the day, that's what matters. You know, and if like you said, if we put all our effort into, you know, all the pro-life work and, and everything that we can do, but we let our families, you know, kind of fall apart, then we've missed the point. So that really just kind of brought that home for me, I think. So thank you for sharing that, Michelle. I like how you talked about the support that you get from your husband. And I think that's absolutely key in the work that we're doing is that it's we need our husbands to be behind us because, as you say, some of us do have to work in order to feed our families and pay the bills. And and when we can have their support and, and somehow do a tag team thing <laughs> with the family, then it, it's, it works a lot better. I have the same with my husband. He He's home on a Wednesday and he does all the fun things with the kids while um, I'm at work. So, yeah, to be able to do that is really important to have that support from our husbands is vital. How's COVID life been in New Zealand? We're actually very, very lucky when you think about it. It's It's been strange with the different lockdowns. Our strategy in this country is to eliminate COVID. So our borders are closed except to people who are coming home from overseas. and they have to stay in these hotels for 14 days and if they test positive then they have to go into quarantine and which is even worse I hear. So it sounds good the hotels but I've just heard of somebody that's been in there and it's awful they're just constantly on on your case it's like living in a in a prison and so every time a COVID, COVID case is found in the community everything stops and there's panic and we have to eliminate it from the community and we just had a few uh, weeks ago we were in level three lockdown because there were a few people that had it and so that basically meant that the world stopped no mass fortunately we could still work because of our office we could still work but it's strange we're living on this up and down roller coaster all the time 
thinking if there's one case we could just everything just stops and we are not allowed to do anything anymore which is puts a lot of fear into people and I notice with each lockdown we become as a nation more willing to comply with the government directives to wear masks and even if we are walking down the road by ourselves we can wear a mask now apparently and you look people look at you strangely if you're not and the church has been a little bit lax really to say it's hard to say how how it really is but they do more than what the government is requiring of people so just like here in the united states our bishops shut down before we had lockdowns and things like that and uh, i i'm here in texas and despite our governor lifting the mask mandate our bishop decided that we needed to keep masks in church and we need to keep social distancing in church and we need to keep limiting the size of 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 congregations at masses it's it's really so disheartening because if you look at historically speaking it was prayer and the church that led the outreach to to people during plagues and and widespread illnesses it wasn't it wasn't the church that ran away it was the church that helped save these people because we recognize that this is not our only life. This life doesn't matter. We we need to help get people to heaven and we need to keep our souls spiritually pure, but the, it's it's our eternal life that matters more than anything. And we shouldn't be afraid of dying from coronavirus, so we need to shut down mass. Saints are fearless because they love and believe and put all their trust in God, not because they run away at the slightest sign of some germs. It's just crazy how the church will do more than than what is required by the state and and at the expense of the salvation of souls and yet that's the whole purpose of the church so and that it's so interesting though and I I'm curious to hear your insight Michelle on what it's been like at the parishes where you are because one trend that I've noticed here in Idaho is that the parishes, most of them, there are quite a few in the area that aren't enforcing masks and all of the crazy you know, restrictions, but majority of the parishes in our area are taking the stance of, you know, well, we are pro-life in our beliefs. And that's, you know, as a reflection of our pro-life beliefs as a congregation, as a church, everybody must wear a mask because it's out of compassion for your neighbor and caring about their life. So is that something that you've heard where you are or, and if so, how, I mean, kind of what's your response to that? Because it's such a, a an odd angle, but that people would use the pro-life, you know, value. Of course we care about our neighbor, but using that as a way to push the COVID restrictions. Quite a, a crazy way to think about it. But uh, we haven't really had that particular line thrown at us yet, but there is a solidarity with some bishops, with those that are in lockdown, for instance. So if we're at level level two, which means you're allowed 100 people at mass, you know, doing all the, all the social distancing and hygiene and contact tracing and all that kind of thing, then there will be churches down right down the other end of the country that will not open and have mass at all 
for their people and they'll be in level one. So it's kind of a strange twist on what it means to be pro-life. And I think, you know, that, as you say, the priorities are all wrong and who we are as um, spiritual beings, but with, with, with a body, but our body is less than our, they're both important, but, but our, it's our spiritual end that is, is the most important thing. And at the end of the day, and this care for our neighbor is very important, but it shouldn't be a reason to get the vaccine or, you know, to wear masks or because we're afraid of one another or what, you know, what is the actual thinking behind it? I can't quite grasp it all myself, I'm afraid. I agree. I think people are driven by fear. I don't think like, you know, you're saying, Lisa, about people saying that they're pro-life, so they're wearing a mask. It's like, no, I think you're just afraid. I don't think you're driven by love here. <laughs> well, and, you know, a lot of people in the pro-life movement, especially those who are Catholic or Christian in some way, it's like, do we not believe that God is all-powerful? And do we not believe that this world is not our home? I mean, if the biggest mission we think we have on earth is just to live as long as possible, then we're completely missing the mark on our purpose <laughs> in life. And so that, I mean, I've seen a lot of people in the pro-life movement, unfortunately, who, you know, will really push the whole, you know, wearing masks and everything. I don't know if it's just a photo op thing or what, because, but it's just unfortunate to see that because it just sends kind of a mixed message in general. But I, I do definitely agree. I think, you know, we have to have that focus of, you know, what's our purpose on this earth? And if it's to evangelize and, and you know, make spread the gospel through all nations, like Jesus said, Jesus never said, OK, you need to make sure that you live as long as possible and that you don't get sick. And, <laughs> you know, Jesus never said that. And so I think that's all part of this is all part of life. And death is part of life, as we know. And as we, you know, just celebrated Easter, it's like, you know, that should remind us that Jesus's death was part of life for us. That's right. And suffering is part of life. And, and we have to accept our cross and carry it. And I guess this is across for many, many people, certainly those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, it's far more of a cross than it is for us. And But it also has to be proportionate what measures are taken. And I, I tend to think that the proportion uh, of the, the measures taken, it's overstated and at the expense of our souls. It's just crazy. It's hard to, it's hard to, you know, enunciate all the things that are in your head about about the whole situation, and but just knowing that you know suffering and death is part of life as well, and and should we be afraid of a a virus that most people aren't going to die from? We know that now. I mean, it was terrifying at the beginning when we had no clue what it was and then and then just to be led down this path of uncertainty for for when is it ever going to end it doesn't seem that it is especially for you guys in New Zealand the fact that they keep oh lockdown open up a little bit lockdown that's just 
crazy. Michelle, I would like to hear from you because you are just such an amazing pro-life warrior. If you could share, or if you wouldn't mind, share with us maybe one of your most vivid or one of your favorite or maybe most impactful pro-life memories, even if it's, you know, something at home with your family. I just... I, I would really love love to hear from you. I think those are some of the best stories that encourage me to keep going and to keep fighting. When we first started 40 Days for Life here in Auckland, we got to the final hour of the, the very first vigil that we did. And we just set up because we were going to have a, a large vigil with everybody coming, um, standing on the side of the road, all the, all the people that had participated. And there were a few of us there and we just, started praying and I looked up and the abortion facilities on the other side of the road and this young man just caught my attention and he, he looked really angry with us and I thought he was with some other people but it turned out that he wasn't in the end but he just looked really really angry and I thought oh gosh here comes trouble and he came over he had to wait in the middle of the road because the, the road that we stand on is one of the busiest in, in Auckland and he, waiting for the traffic and he came over and he stood right in front of us with, you know, made himself as tall as he possibly could and as large as he could and started his rant and I just took him to the side and, and said to him, look, you know, there's, these guys are praying, let's just come over here and you can tell me what your concerns are and he went off and he told me about how his mother had had an abortion, that, you know, they had a really hard life, that they were living with their grandmother and, you know, all these, his his story. And, and I just gently talked to him about, you know, the development of the unborn child, about our love for women who have had abortions and that we understand the turmoil that his mother must have gone through but you know it was still wrong and but there are we're here to give her help and support and that there is healing and all the rest of it and I told him that the baby's heart started beating at 21 days and he looked at me and he was quite surprised by that that seemed to be the thing that grabbed him and he kept ranting and raving and we and then he said to me you know, you remind me of my grandmother. My grandmother was pro-life. My grandmother, you know, was she was really important to me. And and we just kept talking and talking and he just sort of calmed right down over the, the conversation. And at the end of it, he just he said, Can I give you a hug? And he gave me this great and as he walked away, he turned around and he said, Wow, 21 days. So that one thing had stuck in his head and, you know, about the development of the unborn child and, and it had really stuck with him and changed his heart. And then just by talking to him somehow by the grace of God, I had reminded him of his grandmother and of all that he knew to be true and good. And that young man went from being incredibly angry to taking a card that offered hope and healing for his mother so that he could give that to her. And he was really happy. He went off across the other side of the road 
stood there way and then waved a great big wave and you know was just so completely changed in the course of five ten minutes of conversation and it just spoke to me about how important it is that our witness on the side of the street is so important that even if we are not reaching the abortion bound mother we are still reaching those who are so wounded as they walk past and see what we we are doing and and it just you know when you have a wound and it's opened up and it it really really hurts and that but it's the way to healing and i just think that presence outside abortion facilities is absolutely critical in, in bringing healing to the land and to, to just to individual people. And so he's really stuck with me. I mean, that was like, I think it was 2014 when that happened. And I'll never forget him. He was just a young guy, maybe 18, 19. That is incredible. It's like making me cry. That is so powerful. It's like only the grace of God, because how do you have those conversations with people on the streets that is a complete stranger and have them turn from such anger and hurt to such gentleness and love? That That is the power of God. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> it's so good. Um, we're kind of running out of time and I just kind of want to end it on that great note. I just love that. Are you working on anything now or is it, I know it's such a busy time for you and I'm just so grateful that you even took the time to chat with us, but you just ended 40 Days for Life. Yeah, so we've just finished 40 Days for Life. We That was that was incredible again. Always this amazing sense of community and just that we're all in this together and that if an abortion was to end today, there would be people to serve and to love and and to do the things that need to be done so that mothers can give life to their babies. It's just incredible. But here in New Zealand, we are fighting exclusion zones outside abortion facilities. So the submissions for that end on the 28th of April. So if there's any New Zealanders listening, then please get your submissions in. <laughs> so the 28th of April was actually the feast day of St. Gianna Bretamola. So I thought that was a little nod from heaven that all will be well. Yes. <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the situation ends up being, you know, St. Gianna was as patroness of the unborn and of pregnant mothers and of physicians. So so that was, and our pregnancy centre is called Gianna's Choice after St. Gianna Bretamola. So that was, that's kind of providential. But we've also got euthanasia will be legal on the 7th of November of this year. So we've got that as well. You know, there's always, there's sex education is terrible, all the gender ideology. There's just so much to fight, too much to fight for, for one person. We certainly have to do it as a team. And, you know, come together and, and just stand for truth. I mean, we've got hate speech as well, just everything. But know of our support and our prayers for you, your family, for Family Life International. We are so grateful for you. I mean, I hope that you know that we have your back. <laughs> and we hope that we can support you in any way possible. I mean, let us know. It's great to, you know, to have this worldwide family of 
you know, pro-life activists and people that are willing to to just fight the good fight. It's fantastic. Thank you, Claire and Lisa. Hopefully we can see each other again soon. Oh, I hope so. I'm, I'm, that's the thing that's bothering me the most about all of this is wondering when I'll see my friends again. Hopefully, hopefully next year. <laughs> I'm praying for 2022. Thank you again, Michelle. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's been fantastic to chat and catch up. Thank you again for joining us in this week's episode. We'll be sure to include links to FLI's website and Michelle's works in the description. We'll be back next week with another episode. Be sure to subscribe to our email list so you know exactly when our next episode goes live. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Please do contact us with any questions or comments of topics you heard today or other topics you'd like to hear in future episodes. Email us anytime at ladies at lifesightnews.com. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you have a great week. Bye.